The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the second hour of Analyze This, and I am in the nine o'clock hour. I am Summer Sibley Brown filling in for Neville James as the host of Analyze This from WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. And so if you're just tuning in, I just had a great conversation with um, Emanuela Perez Casillas and Marvin Nesbitt from the Virgin Islands Housing Authority. And we're going to pivot a little bit. So I need you to, to make that hard turn with me. Um, um, because now I have the pleasure of speaking with cultural anthropologist Dr. Tammy Navarro, who is an assistant professor of Pan-African Studies at Drew University and a founding member of the Virgin Islands Studies Collective. And we're talking on her book, Virgin Capital, Race, Gender, and Financialization in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Virgin Capital was published last year, and it really examines the cultural impact and historical significance of economic of the Economic Development Commission in the United States Virgin Islands. Dr. Navarro is returning to St. Croix later this month to give a lecture on Virgin Capital, and she is joining us now remotely. Good Oh, we waiting for her. She's not here yet. Okay. So listen, I will tell you, I'm excited to have this conversation. One of my favorite things about being on an NPR station is that I feel like I learn so much. Um, I learned so much um, from the guest. I learned so much um, from even in between commercials or the pre-show. And so I'm excited because when we're talking about race, gender, and financialization in the U.S., we really do need to look at, like, what are either the positive impacts, the negative impacts, both. And when she comes, I'm going to, I am going to her lecture. So I don't just say that. Even before she got on air, she probably can't hear us. But this information sounds truly 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 interesting to me and so i can't wait to be able to have this second conversation today and to enlighten you and i'm gonna throw out our numbers out there in case you know when you're listening you're listening at the end of the interview at the bottom of the hour if you want to call in and, and have um join the conversation or comment on dr navarro's work it is 340-718-0761 or you can text 340-201-5402 um, because these conversations to me are truly, 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 truly enlightening. So I need you to like sit back, get in place and um, really begin to like prep yourself because how many of you have actually thought about those impacts when we're looking at the intersections of race, gender and financialization um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, what has that? What does that mean for how we developed? I think that's a question I have for Dr. Navarro. Like, did it, in fact, shape us? Um, and were the impacts positive or negative? And I am sure we will hopefully have the opportunity to explore both. Um, so, yeah, that's what we are going to be talking about in the second hour. While we wait for Dr. Navarro, I'm going to take this sneak moment to be like, did you go to vote? Well, you can go to vote if you haven't early voted. You need to go to vote on November 8th. Um, tonight, there will be um, 
community voice there is going to be people at levels this is primarily for millennials but all people are welcome talking about why we should vote um and you know the role voting plays in our society so shout out i will be there it starts at 6 30 at levels there have been other shows um that have recently come out where candidates have interviews there is a wtjx podcast um that you can look at all of the past candidates we've interviewed um as you are preparing to make that critical 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 decision of who you would like to see in office um by your measure by your values by what's important to you specifically and what you see as the long-term future of the virgin islands um and you know how that's going to play out we are going to be preparing ourselves for the next two to four years we still have money to spend in recovery we still have covid dollars um and we need the best possible voices that embody your values on air i mean (laughs) in the senate in the executive branch, Board of Elections, Board of Education. Thank you for holding on and being gracious this morning. I believe we have Dr. Tammy Navarro now. Good morning, yes. Dr. Navarro. Welcome to Analyze Good This. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I am doing well. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm so thrilled to, to be in conversation with you this morning. I, I am too. So first of all, I... Of, as always, please tell, you know, give people a little background on who you are, Dr. Navarro, where you're from, who your people are, things like that. And yeah. then I want to jump into the to the lecture. Yes, absolutely. The lecture and the book. Thank you so much. Yes, I always um, am I'm thrilled for the opportunity to say um, I'm from St. Croix, always and proudly. Um, so I'm from St. Croix, a, a proud graduate of um, Ricardo Richards. Um, Elena Christian and um, St. Joseph's High School. So those are the places that, that really form my, my early thinking. Um, and so I have so much respect and admiration for um, those spaces, although Elena's no longer with us in that way. Um, yeah, I was born and raised on St. Croix. And um, after leaving after high school, I went on to college and graduate school to study anthropology. Um, and there I really became interested in the ways you know, this isn't like anthropology, which I had never heard about growing up on St. Croix. I realized how important it was for spaces like the Virgin Islands and St. Croix in particular because I discovered we had been being studied all this time, um, but never by ourselves. So it was important for me to become that kind of Crucian anthropologist and, and look at the community that I grew up in and think about, you know, our culture that is so rich and so full and that we celebrate, um, but think about it in a different way, think about it through this lens of anthropology. And um, now as a professor of, of anthropology in the States, I have the chance to kind of share some of our culture and these questions that I'm trying to think through, especially as I do in this new book, thinking about, you know, what is development in the Virgin Islands? I get to share it with a whole new audience. So I'm, one, really excited to talk to you, right? Um, the title of the book alone was like, ooh, Virgin Capital, Race, Gender, and Financialization in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, you know, I wanted to also just give you an opportunity to explain to whether it's a young person that's listening or another person who really doesn't know what anthropology is about or what an anthropologist does. And in this case, you're a cultural anthropologist. Just like a yeah. high-level explanation. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so useful, I think, as a question, because as I said... When I graduated, you know, from St. Joseph, I won't say the year, but way back when, I didn't even know what anthropology was, right? So it was when I got to college, I understood it's what they, what we 
what I tell my introduction to anthropology students is that it's a study of culture. But what does that mean, right? Is it just studying folk tales and music festivals? No, it's studying the way people live their lives broadly. So anthropology has four fields in it. So it's important that you mention I'm a cultural anthropologist because there's also archaeology and important work on archaeology has been done, languages, so linguistic anthropology. Um, but for people who study culture like I do, we really look at how do people live their lives in an everyday way. So how will we look at a big structure, right? So something called the economy. And what does that have to do with culture? My argument and the argument of anthropology is that it has everything to do with culture because it's people. It's people who are making this thing called the economy possible, right? Somebody has to get in their car and find money to fill the car with gas and get to a job, right? And somebody is in a position to hire them, right? So these different relationships of power um, are central to what I'm looking at and this thing that we call culture. So it's not this kind of outside thing of, well, culture is something that is an idea that we can't touch. Culture is the things that we do every single day, how we make our lives possible, how we find money, how we, you know, call on our cousins and our grandparents and our community um, to kind of keep moving forward, even when things get hard, which is what, you know, the book is really looking at the difficult financial situation St. Croix has been in for a long time, for really for generations, and figuring out how do Virgin Islanders Yes, but Crucians in particular, how do we keep going and how do these things impact our everyday life? So when you were speaking, something that came up for me that I wanted to highlight, you know, is on average when when we think of something cultural, right? Like you said, it's not just music fest and folk stories, right? Like a popular way we... I, this is my interpretation, right? A popular way in our community that people, when we think culture, we begin to think like Madras, Quadrille, Quelbe, Beignet, um, sugar mills, right? Those are like, those are like maybe, now that I'm listening to you, those are like maybe like um, icons or symbolism of yeah. parts of our culture. But what I heard you say is culture is what we are living. Exactly. Yeah, and those things are crucially important. So when you even ask what's anthropology, you know, in an earlier moment, you know, an anthropologist would not be me. You, you, the, the, we had some technical difficulties, so you can't see me, but you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm still going to put myself in the youngish category, um, black woman from the Virgin Islands. You know, it's important that we think about when you say what is anthropology, who is an anthropologist, right? For a long time, um, it was people who could go to graduate school. So it was older people, white men who would go to Africa, go to the Caribbean. That's what I was trying to say earlier that, you know, we have been the object of study. People have been looking at mm. us for a long time, but we have not been in a position and had the training and the resources to look at ourselves and say, what is going on here from a kind of diverse perspective, from a local perspective? Um, so it's important. Yes, those things, you know, the sugar mills, the plantations, all of those even come into my work. Right? So they are important um, elements of culture. We have our culture bearers in the Virgin Islands, which are so important. But my argument is that I'm trying to push and broaden our notion of culture, right? That we are living it every day, that this thing called the economy, the fact that, you know, we'll get into the book in a second, but the EDC program and how we respond to it is an example of dynamic living culture. When Hovensa closes and people have to figure out how they're going to eat, how they're going to afford groceries, where their kids are going to go to school, when gas doubles, how are you going to fill up your gas tank? All of those strategies and ways of moving forward with your life, those are instances of cultural um, production. So some, uh, you know, I'm so this is our first conversation. I am the queen of the recap, and um, because okay. what it is is I like to edify for my own self and maybe somebody who who's listening what it is yeah. we're hearing and something you said really just struck me we have been the object of someone else study and 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 pe people you know for for who was or who is 
who is an anthropologist usually so that means a person outside of us is using their lens to interpret our behaviors um, and highlight them. And what you have done by becoming a cultural anthropologist is saying this is actually also my lens. I this is this is my culture. I've lived here. I am applying these methodologies and, you know, and all the things that I've learned at this level to looking at who we are as a people, yeah. not someone outside coming and observing and saying this is who they are. You're saying this is who we are. So these stories and these experiences and these strategies for living, they're not different or unknown to you. You might have a new, a new, a more nuanced lens now. You have different right. vernacular. You can now, te- you know, you can now explore it differently. Right. But you are a part of the culture that you are exploring, which seems to me um, extremely powerful, really. Yeah, I hope, you know, honestly, that's that's the hope of the work, right? The hope is that through growing up there, you know, and I kind of rehearsed my background. I went to Ricardo Richards. I'm proud of this history. But the reason I mention it is because I think it informs the way I do the work, right? I think growing up on St. Croix and understanding that things like, for instance, the dynamics between St. Croix and St. Thomas that can emerge, the dynamics, the particularities of living on St. John, right? What it means to not have an airport, what it means to not have access to um, kind of robust medical care, right? Those kinds of connections, when you come in from the outside, you kind of just look at the areas, okay, well, this is the Virgin Islands. This is one thing. So my hope and my argument is that in understanding and in having these decades, you know, my whole life of experiencing Virgin Islands culture, my hope is that this book and my work is able to offer what you call, you know, rightly a more nuanced engagement, a different lens on, okay, the people who object to the EDC program are not just crazy people, but they actually are coming from somewhere. And we have to understand that lens, that local lens of what people have been through, what they're continuing to go through. Okay, so I want to ask one more question just about you before we dive into the book. In the intro, it says, founding member of the Virgin Islands Studies Collective. What is the Virgin Islands Studies Collective? I am so glad you asked that question. I don't know if they're listening, but this gives me an opportunity to shout out some of my favorite um, cultural producers and and interlocutors and friends. Um, The Virgin Islands Studies Collective is a group of four black women, all of us are Virgin Islanders, um, who work in and on the Virgin Islands in totally different disciplines. Um, But we have come together about five years ago now to try to think about what is the place of the Virgin Islands in our different disciplines. So we have LaVon Bell, who's an artist. She's based on St. Croix. We have Tiffany Yannick. She's a novelist. She's in Atlanta now, but she's from St. Thomas. She would kill me if I didn't mention she's from St. Thomas. Um, And Hadia Sewer, who's a philosopher on St. John, and myself, an anthropologist from St. Croix. All we try to do is come together and really in intellectual space and in activist spaces, try to think about, hey, we're talking so much about all these other places. We talk about Puerto Rico, you know, we talk about American Samoa, we talk about Guam. We really want to center the history of the Virgin Islands um, when we think about these kind of broader shifts. And this happened really at the centennial in 2017 is when we really kind of um, came together because we were seeing a lot of complicated reactions to the centennial, the sale. Mm -hmm. Um, of the islands to the U.S. And so in our different worlds, so Tiffany and her novelist space, me and my anthropologist space, LaVon and Hadia in their spaces, we're seeing people react to the centennial and some people are celebrating it. Some people were, you know, upset about it. And so we were having our own kind of individual conversations that we came together and said, you know, what if we made kind of a, um, a collective? What if we made a group of diverse perspectives? all of us women, all of us black women from the Virgin Islands, um, and try to think about what these different conversations are saying to each other. 
it's, it's not often I should say as an anthropologist, but I get to be deeply in conversation with a painter or a multimedia artist or a novelist. Um, so it's been a real um, it's been a real gift and an opportunity to work with those women in, in Visco. So. Visco, I just want to say I would love to be a fly on the wall for your conversations because um, all of the names that you mentioned um, in some way, shape or form happen to be in like an orbit, right? Maybe not personal, but I definitely have reverence. And, um, you know, we had a candidate come on and she said, if you want something to be done, tell a man. No, if you want something to be said, tell a man. If you want something to be done, tell a woman. Um, so the fact that you're talking about four really um really um, accomplished in their own right and mm -hmm. also um, powerful and devoted to their craft, women working together on Virgin on the Virgin Islands um, Collective, Virgin Islands Studies Collective. I, I feel like that in itself sh should be celebrated. We should have a whole show where I'm talking to the four of you. Like that yeah. would be amazing um, to just to, to look into the minds and, and explore the intersections of yeah. what is actually happening, even though the perspective or the lenses of application are different, where are the intersections and where is the power to like leverage, leverage change? Because I could imagine, right? Art mm -hmm. is so humanizing. So to take mm -hmm. something like, you know, Virgin Islands, Virgin Capital, Race, Gender and Financialization and, and visualize that, right? Like oh. that that has the power to move people in, in, in a way that, you know, may may not move everyone. It just reaches more and more and more, right? Um, yeah, so and that's the hope that we're trying to reach these different audiences. So we don't just want a kind of academic intellectual audience. We are very, very clear that we're community grounded, community based groups. So one of the first things we did when we said, okay, this is going to be a real group is we did community forums on each island. So we went to St. Croix, we went to St. John, went to St. Thomas, and we just talked to people in cafes and bookstores. We just said, we want to have these conversations. What is it to be a Virgin Islander? In what ways do you feel included? In what ways do you feel excluded? What do you think is happening? What do you think is important as you know for the future of the Virgin Islands? So, absolutely, we, I may take you up on that. You know, I hope the four of us can get together with you at some point because I do think that those spaces of connection, as I say, are often overlooked. As an anthropologist, it's unusual for me to be in conversation with you know a philosopher, a multimedia artist. So, Dr. Navarro, we're going to go to a quick break, and when we come yeah. back, we're going to pick up on this thought and dive into Virgin Capital. for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go, and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and your hat sign up, Polly. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? 
You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line altogether on election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. Music can be an incredibly personal experience. A song can inspire you, it can comfort you, it can make you feel understood, it can even take you back to a specific moment in your life. And it all begins with the artist. Join me, Raina Duras, as I get personal through in-depth interviews with your favorite musicians and find out where those songs come from on World Cafe. Weekdays at 10 p.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. And we are back, right? And I am listening to the most beautiful intro and outro music. And usually it's like super short. And so on this round, I got to listen to all the dimensions of it. And I was like, okay, that's what we're going to be up to. If you are just tuning in, it is the second hour of Analyze This. I'm Summer Sibley Brown. And I have the awesome, awesome opportunity to connect with Dr. Tammy Navarro. And we're talking about her book and upcoming lecture and her book's title is virgin capital race gender and financialization in the u.s virgin islands and like in our first round it was just like highlighting shouting out that dr navarro is uh is a daughter of the soil she is from st croix educated here um both public private school experiences furthered her education really was like oh my god anthropology what is that how can i do it and is now a cultural anthropologist and 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 and, and breaking norms in terms of she is a woman of color from the Caribbean doing this kind of work and then also like her role in working with other awesome women um, in the Virgin Islands Studies Collective. And now I want to kind of turn to like, tell us about the book. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I'm always so excited to talk about this. Um, yeah, the book has been a long time in the making. So as you mentioned, it's called Virgin Capital. Um, and what that is is my attempt to try to get at, you know, the role of the Virgin Islands in these kind of financial exchanges that we have, my argument is, been a part of for, for decades, for centuries, for generations. Um, but I have a particular focus on the Economic Development Commission, the EDC program, which, you know, your listeners may be familiar with. Um, <clears throat> so it's a program that came to the Virgin Islands in the, in the early 2000s, and I did um, what we in anthropology call my field work which is complicated because it was coming to St. Croix. It was coming home for me. I did that field work um, really in the two years of 2007 and 2008. And what I was trying to do is look at the EDC program and understand what was all this conversation going on um, around the program. <clears throat> so when you talk to one set of people, it sounded like all this money was coming into the territory and it was going to be the kind of saving grace, right? It's going to be the kind of jump start of our economy, especially on St. Croix, which 
you know, as, as many people know, has struggled in particular ways with its economy when you look at it in relation to St. Thomas and, and even St. John in some ways. Um, so I wanted to study the EDC, thinking about why did some people think it was this fantastic, new, amazing development? And other people I talked to um, would say things like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to us. We're completely being um, robbed. This is racist. This is a huge problem. Those two people were not in conversation with each other at all like at all. Um, and so I spent the first part of that time doing field work, just trying to translate for myself. Okay, what are you talking about when you say the EDC program? Is this, you know, kind of saving grace? Is this wonderful opportunity to bring money into the territory? And then separately, what are you talking about when you say that money is not the saving grace? And in fact, it's making things worse in a lot of ways because we see kind of racist patterns of behavior. We see exclusions. We see, see things like being closed off from our land, from our beaches, um, from our public spaces. So the book is really an attempt to try to think about what is the EDC? First of all, what is it? How do we understand how it got here? Because that's important, and that's what I'll be talking about in the UVI lecture. In a couple of days, how do we even get here to a space where St. Croix in particular, where I do a lot of the work, is home to all of these kind of financial um, management companies? How did something like that happen? Well, there's a long history that you have to understand. And once they get here, why are people so upset? Um, that they have arrived, right? And why are some people so excited? So I really see it as a kind of translation project to try to make sense of both of those positions. So one one thing, so can you tell me what day the lecture is? Because I want people to be clear that you will be on island later this month and there will be a lecture happening to di a discourse where we can actually engage and learn more about what's in the book. Um, yes. So when is that? It's November 18th, it's a Friday, um, and it's from noon to one, and it's on the St. Croix campus, um, the Albert A. Sheen campus of UVI. So November 18th from noon to one on the St. Croix campus, Albert A. Sheen. In person. In yes, person. Please, um, <laughs> please so join us. Yeah. The, the first thing, I mean, and I know we're just touching light, right, on, you know, it's only 40 minutes, we're touching really lightly on what the book is about, but when you said um, the Economic Development Commission really only came to the Virgin Islands in 2000. I was like, oh, they've only been here 22 years. That's, that's a, you know, I was like, okay, that for me was information I didn't have. Even just like, you know, when we talk about like fact-based information, like that's a fact from 2000 to 2022, that's where we are now. They've only been here 20 years. When you also talked about the tension that we are in it felt like that feels like the tension of the vi right like in such a small place how some people um they really see the benefit of what is happening from their lens and how they experience it and then we kind of have um the others who are like i want i don't want to use i'm going to use the word so i don't like um sentinels or alarms or like watchdogs who said this is not as good as you think it is right and that 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 struck home for me because i feel like you know in the first hour um emanuela perez casias was on and she's my best friend and we we're talking about our attention of like the chronic lens of optimism like being able to see the glass as half full and what is being offered by something and me being able to look at something and be like, hey, there's potential danger here if we don't do do this well. And how do people, I mean, it sounds like the book is exploring that infrastructure, not, actually, not necessarily providing answers, but saying, here's the stories, right? Yeah. Um, which is part of what anthropology does. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's part of what anthropology... So I think I want to say two things. Yes, that's absolutely part of what anthropology does and what I'm trying to contribute to. I want to backtrack um, to something that you said earlier, and I won't bore anybody with the details of this, but it's true that the EDC in the form that we know it now has been in the territory since the early 2000s. What's important and what I'll try to rehearse in the... Um, what I plan to rehearse in the, arc, in the lecture at UVI is that it comes out of a much longer history, and mm. that is why people object to it. It comes out of a longer history of this program called the IDC, you know, which some of your older listeners may remember um, from the 80s, 90s, even the 70s, right? So the industrial development. So before we had the economic development, it was really industry and corporations like Vitelco, um, if anybody remembers Vitelco. Yes. You know, these were the kind... <laughs> These are the kind of beneficiaries at that point. It was much more about infrastructure and, and in industry, right? So they had these big bays. Um, they even still have the, the warehouse there um, off the side of the highway near the National Guard on St. Croix. So these big bays where people actually make physical things, material objects, right? So that's the kind of um, predecessor, the ancestor of the EDC. Right? So as things change, they say, okay, this is not working out anymore for reasons I, you know, I won't go into now. But we're going to shift from industry, from making kind of large-scale things to the economy. Right for for a whole bunch of reasons. So there's a longer history, but the thing that we call EDC really did formalize in the early 2000s. So I think that's an important point. But um, to what you were saying, yeah, I think it is absolutely a conversation about. I don't know if I would say it's necessarily half full or half empty, but I was being driven so crazy by the fact that the people that I would talk to, for instance, one of the um, companies that I spent time with doing this field work was Stanford Financial which was headed by this billionaire, Alan Stanford, who was operating in the territory um, in the mid-2000s. So when I would talk to those people at Stanford Financial, they could only say how wonderful it was and how exciting it was and how, you know, really the word was crazy or uneducated or ignorant or anti-development. Anybody who didn't see how great this was would be, right? Something is wrong with you or you just don't understand. You don't have the mental capacity to understand why this is amazing for the territory. And that drove me crazy because the people who were my friends and cousins and classmates who did object to it, you know, the kind of everybody else, they weren't crazy. They just had a completely different lens that they were looking at this through and saying, yes, we see the money is coming in, but we also see that it's not benefiting people in equal ways at all. We see that it's concentrated in certain neighborhoods, in certain communities, you know, there's certain people certain schools, right? If you're an alumni of a certain school, you have this kind of network that you can tap into for things like internships that could turn into paying jobs. Um, so that I think is, it's not necessarily half full or half empty. I just wanted to really translate across and say, you know, these people, my people are not crazy. They just have a different, a completely alternate theorization, a completely different approach to this because they're not looking at it as, as a just now thing. They're looking at it in the long history of development and how the Virgin Islands has been and continues to be disenfranchised um, in development, right? How we continue to get the short end of the stick all the time, really from slavery through industry, through the economic moment we're in now. So, you know, as you as I listen to you, I used to do a podcast with a group of young people and Darren Georges, if you're listening, I'm going to shout you out. He's not that young. He's a millennial. But one of the things, his favorite term. That's still young. That's yeah, still yeah, young. yeah. His favorite term, um, almost every show he would mention trickle down economics, right? And the fact right, that right. Um, trickle down economics wasn't really benefiting um, the Virgin Islands and that we needed to right. change the model. And then the Biden administration put out their Build Back Better plan mm -hmm. and I was reading that and it really spoke to bottom-up economics, right? And so when we look at Yes, my understanding of the Economic Development Commission's model and even the IDC model, which I didn't know about, it really does sound like that trickle-down economics. We're going to bring in 
I call them like these apex organizations that have money and capacity. And by virtue of that, the benefits of them being in our community will, you know, their cup will be full and it will overflow and people would be able to, to live off of <laughs> what the their overflow, overflow is. <laughs> right. And um, even in that rationale, when you think about what's overflowing, it's like we never get the benefit of the full cup though, right? Mm-hmm. We're telling you to please come here do great business, have all these benefits. And then we're going to, you know, it's going to, the overflow is jobs, right? But not careers or generational wealth or, you know, long-term entrepreneurship for yourself, but there's these jobs that will be created and jobs matter to power economy, right? But they're not, they're not, they're not the greatest jobs. They're just jobs. Um, And they're not for everybody. I mean, I think that's an important point. The we that you talk about is a big part of my argument. Who is the we that's receiving Mm -hmm. the overflow? Who, not everybody is equally positioned to interview or to get these jobs, right? That is hugely important. That the overflow, there is some overflow. Some people are making, have made money as employees of these corporations, right? But who are those people? And what are the histories that put them in the right position to be employees, to kind of gain the wealth or the relative wealth, right, to get the paychecks of this EDC company? So So if we want to think about trickle-down economics, I think that's the objection that so many Virgin Islanders had. Like, we are bearing the brunt of this program because it costs Virgin Islanders something. It costs something to have all of these people come in, right, with their ideas and their wealth and their kind of demands for privacy and exclusivity and people's property tax going up so much. That there's a cost that is shared. And what Virgin Islanders articulated to me is that the benefits are not shared equally. And that is a huge issue. You know, as you think about, you know, I also think about this in the terms of like what my thoughts are around how we distribute recovery dollars, right? This is not, the, your book is not about that. But it's like, what is the potential of a thing to either close the the wealth this, you know, the social demographic divide to include like the wealth gap or to harden it and widen it. And I feel like as you as you explore, sorry, I think there are people in in what you are sharing who are like, I see this as something that's actually going to continue to further or harden um, the divide um, on on our wealth gap in the Virgin Islands, which then begins, as you say, race and gender isolating people and so who are the people who are who are frozen out who who are we i guess the question is who are we centering who did Uh we center in in this process of creating um an economic development commission that has a that has a predecessor who are we centering then who did we continue to center and is that truly a benefit is that truly the best way forward i think that is the key question to be honest with you you know when People on both sides of this would say, I want the best for the Virgin Islands. But this conversation that we're having is a necessary addendum to that conversation. So what does that even mean? Who are Virgin Islanders, right? I'm not trying to wade into the kind of native Virgin Islander debate. Mm. But when you say you want the best for the Virgin Islands, who are you talking about in particular? And how has that group remained pretty consistent over these different moments of development, right? So you benefit in particular ways because of the way you talk, because of your education, because of your mobility, because a whole package of things. Right under the, um, even going back to the sort of moment of slavery and the industrial moment. And the, what my argument is, this remains pretty constant even through the EDC. So some people are certainly benefiting, but it does remain a pretty stable group of people. And that wealth gap that you're talking about, those what I call these kind of hierarchies of difference, these power relations do get much wider, right? Because you're in a better position to apply for these jobs, which are well-paying, right? They have paid well relative to what else is available in the Virgin Islands. Um, so that we do see these kinds of gaps of inequality widening 
when it was meant to come here to do exactly the opposite, right? This notion that there's going to be this overflow, which is going to wash into restaurants and clothing stores and grocery stores. We really have not seen that play out, right? We have seen the kind of concentration of wealth in neighborhoods, right? And the concretizing of wealth and making certain people much, 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 much more comfortable. Um, But we've also seen a lot of displacement um, and a lot of people being really, displeased with having to bear the cost of this program and not understanding any kind of shared benefit. So I, that's that's what I was like. So who are the small businesses, right? So if you're saying that having this here supports these other, you know, smaller economic businesses that are driving our, supposed to do. Right, our community. Supposed to do. But then as we look over time, who, 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 how has the faces of those businesses and, and even the services that being provided and for who and how they centered, how has that been impacted, right? And how has that changed? Because, you know, 50 years ago or 20 years ago, who was a business owner and who is a business owner now? I think like if we, if we look at the, um, if we follow it, we'll see that there has been a drastic, um, change in what businesses are where and who owns them and what services they provide and i'll just use one example like uh-huh. you cannot find real a restaurant that is thriving that serves like crucian food uh-huh. their businesses have not been able to maintain but we have a lot of thriving restaurants and like this statement isn't against the thriving restaurant to me no. it drives the point like so why are these restaurants able to maintain in this environment and then um a restaurant that quote unquote is local serving caribbean food or crucial food having a really 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 hard time maintaining and they're not getting the traffic and the business that should that should come from this investment or this program that we said would stabilize them so like over time we do see like in my and i'm talking about just what i see in terms of now what you're bringing up for me is like there is a there is a drastic change uh-huh. Of who's yeah, here and who's, and who's being served. Who is being served, exactly. So one thing I want to say is I also deeply grieve the loss of Brady's, um, mm. and that has impacted my life um, in, in very deep ways. But I think what you're saying is so true when you think about businesses that are supported, right? Just so the EDC is meant to come here. So, for example, one of the things that these contracts stipulate is they're supposed to both hire local workers, right? And that's a question. What is a local worker? Um, but the other thing they're supposed to do is patronize local businesses, right? So as you need office supplies or whatever you need to make your EDC business function, you're supposed to patronize local businesses. So when I talked to a lot of business own, small business owners as part of the field work for this project, their complaint was that does not happen. That does not happen. We don't feel adequately consulted and pursued. We don't even get the chance to bid hmm. on these um, on these orders, right? Because they just say, oh, you don't have the exact right, spec- like if we need a pencil, right? We need it at this grade, this particular shade, right? We're going to go and take a quick break. We're going to pick up on why local businesses may not be benefiting. Um, this is Summer Sibley Brown talking to Dr. Tammy Navarro, and we will be back. El sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. 
puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. Throughline is always looking for a new spin on historical events we think we understand. And we're so excited and proud that our series on Afghanistan won a Peabody Award. The history of Afghanistan has too often been told by those who tried and failed to control it from outside. We wanted to bring you this history from the voices of Afghans themselves. Listen to Throughline from NPR every week, Saturdays at 7 a.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is WTJX 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. This is Analyze This, and I am Summer Sibley Brown filling in for Neville James. I'm talking to Tammy Navarro, and we're having Dr. Tammy Navarro um, from St. Croix, um, cultural anthropologist, having a really, um, for me, great conversation about her book, Virgin Capital, Race, Gender, and Financialization in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And before the break, we were talking about some of the um, barriers or challenges that you were able to capture is, is is in the process of things that should benefit small business. Some of the small right. businesses were feeling like the specifications or, you know, they didn't actually have an opportunity to, to, to interact and receive any of that benefit. Right, exactly. So that primarily came through um, something called the Eligible Supplier Program, right? And because of that, I talked with a number of small business owners and said, okay, you went through the process to be listed, you know, in this EDC register as eligible supplier. So that means you are a local business. They're supposed to consult you, you know, and ask for bids on these different needs that they have. Are you seeing that? I mean, across the board, people would say, no, we're not seeing that. You know, they felt that these companies were really kind of circumventing or kind of going around that requirement by having these overly specific requirements, which, by the way, was another objection that Virgin Islanders had to the hiring, right? So they would say, you have to hire so many Virgin Islanders. Um, And this is a much larger question, but what a lot of these corporations would do is bring down people from the mainland, have them meet that that kind of technical requirement of being a Virgin Islands resident, of being here so many days, 183 days. Um, and so Virgin Islanders were enraged, both small business owners and people who would, you know, want to be employed in this sector and say, well, this is ridiculous. You know, this is ridiculous. We don't really get a fair chance to interact or to benefit from the kind of capital that's being brought into the territory. Um, but again, we're feeling the brunt of it. But because of these kind of ways that they're able to work around it and bring in people from the States and get their needs met off-island, 
um, we're feeling the brunt of it, but we're not getting any of the, the money that we expected to. You know, and so one of the things that you think about when you hear people or you think about people applying to be EDC companies and, and you look at the type of company that they are and um, it would kind of like make sense for us to get like what is the required skill um, that you're going to need, right? Because we have a Department of Labor. So even, you know, workforce development should be geared towards if we're going after these financial companies, if we're going after, you know, pharmaceutical companies, whatever we're going after, like how are we preparing or ensuring? Like where's the synergy between the preparation of the labor force to, to fit all their their levels? So when they come here, it's like, no, we actually have the skilled force or you might start with this team and then over the course of two to three years after you provide professional development or training or education, we actually expect you to transition, right, to to having more locals, but the, but then the requirement and the definition of what is local, um, right. as we as we sit in our status, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a whole nother layer. That's uh, a whole nother hour. Yeah, <laughs> that informs this. Um, it really seems like it does make it very tricky. So, for the person who's like, okay, I, I I'm hearing this conversation. It seems interesting to me. I want to be there. What are the, what are, what are the, you mentioned like, cause the question, right? What are the, what are the questions that you are in? Cause you mentioned, I just want to summarize them for like, what are the two or three questions that you were seeking? You said them separately, but I want to pull them together that you're seeking to answer. Great. I think one of the things I really wanted to answer was when we say we want to improve the Virgin Islands, I wanted to put a finer grain on that and say, what are we talking about? I think that was maybe the kind of ultimate question that I had when I went into this project. Because to my, as I was sitting and talking with these people, both the people for, you know, supporting and against the EDC program would all say very similar things, right? We want a better future for the Virgin Islands. We want economic prosperity for the Virgin Islands. And what I think we were not having conversations about is the kind of specifics of that. What does that look like? Who are the Virgin Islanders that are benefiting? And what do you mean when you say the Virgin Islands, right? You have to have a kind of island by island analysis. So that's one of the main questions I was trying to answer. And the second question I wanted to answer was, what is this program, right, that was taking up everybody's imagination? Not so much now, but when I did this field work in 2002, 2000, 2007, 2008, before the big economic crisis that happened um, in the States and trickled down everywhere, people just kept talking about this. And I wanted to really, the, the second main question is, I really wanted to take a look at it and say, what is this? What is this phenomenon? And how does it fit into the longer history of the development of the Virgin Islands? People are talking about this like they have seen it before. They haven't seen these financial management companies, no, but they have seen these kinds of relationships of power and exclusion and people wanting to close off private beaches and displacement. That That is familiar to Virgin Islanders, right? And they articulated very clearly um, that they saw the EDC in this kind of longer line um, of historical attempts at development. But I also think, you know, this conversation <laughs> informs future, right? Because... Yeah. Um, maybe there is a balance that we could strike if we had the answers to both those questions that you posed or, or, or an attempt at like a, a closer attempt to figure out what does this look like and feel like for, for all parties involved yeah. in a way that we are working more towards crafting um, a win-win or serving more people. And, you know, as we talk about race and gender, um, it, you know, what I'm hearing is an undertone of also like we're talking about access because who has access to participate in these programs, you know, 
who, who one so we talked about who's an anthropologist right but who actually yeah. is an edc company because it's not virgin islanders who live in the states coming back saying you know i've i've done this and i'm creating a part so who is who is the edc company and who is represented within its walls um as its workforce and how do their benefits also translate not just to benefits to the company and a requisite set of jobs for we could debate and persons who may have like arbitrary claim to citizenship no problem right um yeah. because we, we we're could talk about that we could have a constitutional convention right now we could talk about that. <laughs> um but like how is that benefit translating across our territory in terms of real impact in um, social, social and economic benefits? And I know like a lot, it seems like a lot of times when people are sitting in these rooms and having conversations, they're having them in silos. So they may be looking at one aspect of the benefit, government solvency, this is how much jobs we have. Um, but there are other things that come along with it. Like when you harden the wealth divide, how does that impact crime? Um, how, you know what I mean? Yeah. How does that impact even like race relations? You know, because we we live in yeah. a pretty amicable I, a, a territory that is full of tolerance, um, mostly. But there is an underlying, for me, I've experienced an underlying thread of difference. It's like, it's not like we are, you know... We are a melting pot, but it's not like we're really, like, if we name it truthfully, we're not like, you know, we're all kumbaya. There are some places where that does happen. I don't think that's the expectation in life, but if we don't consider race relations and race-motivated things as our nation, right, and the world begins to grapple and struggle with the reality of, these are things we aren't talking about, but they do exist. So, like, when, when I saw race, gender, and financialization, to me, those things converge um, that create a specific atmosphere or ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, the Virgin Islands is a very inclusive and welcoming space. You know, oftentimes, Virgin Islanders might say to its detriment, right? So when we did these, when Visco did our community forums on St. John, we look around the room, you know, and Dr. Hadia Sewer will even talk about this, who is represented in those rooms and ident self-identifying as Virgin Islanders, right? Um, and so these questions about who are we talking about? It really, it really matters. It really matters when you're thinking about we want to benefit the Virgin Isles. We have to know who we're talking about and how we got to this place. Oh, I mean, I want to ask you a really, it's not a silly question, but for me, it's like, you know, I've never written a book. So I, what was that process? What was that process like for you? Like the actual, like, okay, we've, we've done this. Uh -huh. And I've done my field work and I have my questions and this is the curiosity I'm in and this is my learning. And now how do I translate that to, you know, oh. chapter by chapter, book by book, something oh. that people that's also like it's steeped in like my academia, but it's also readable and receivable and relatable. Like, tell me a little bit about that. I hope so. I mean, that's the hope. I don't know. I hope it's accessible <laughs> because the people I wrote this book for are Virgin Islanders, to be completely honest with you. The people I wrote this book for were the people that shared their experiences with me and who would, you know, sit down with me in the rainforest and, and say very clearly, no, this is why I object. This is what I see as wrong with this. This is why I think this group is here. And I just wanted to circle back to what you talked about, about our, our inclusivity as Virgin Islanders. But there is that kind of specter or possibility of racial violence. So people would, a lot of times, I write about this in the book, talk about um, 
talk about Fountain Valley, right? This attack that happened in Fountain Valley way back in the day, but they would kind of articulate that and say, well, if things get too out of hand, we know what has happened here before, right? Mm. So it's not a new, that's what I'm trying to say, it's not a new phenomenon that Virgin Islanders understand very clearly what's happening to them. It's not that they are misapprehending or don't understand or ignorant. They get it. They just have a totally different lens, right? And a, a, a different relationship to race and wealth and being excluded from their home space. Um, so I just wanted to, to circle back on that. But writing a book um, it's hard. For me, it was hard. It took me the better part of 10 years to finish it as a book. Um, it was my dissertation um, to get my PhD uh, 10 years ago. Um, and in the time, you know, that's a long time. And I write about that in the kind of acknowledgement section of my book. That's a long time. But it was necessary for me to kind of change my thinking and shape my thinking. Because I think when I wrote it initially, it was just, here's what Virgin Islander said. Here's what EDC people said. But I didn't have the distance that I needed to say, these people are really talking past each other. And I almost had to learn both languages, like mm-hmm. understand very clearly and be able to defend both positions. Like, no, this is why you're saying this. You're coming from this kind of economic school of thought that says this is supposed to be good. Like you're not some kind of boogeyman, you know, jumping out the bush and trying to get everybody in some cases. In some cases, they were. Um, but that you have to understand both positions and be able to articulate them very clearly. And that took time. That took time for me to get that people really did um, in a well-meaning way, want the best for the Virgin Islands in a lot of cases, right? So the local folks that were working um, at the EDA, for instance, where I spent a lot of time, the Economic Development Authority, which is the governing body overseeing this, those people wanted the best and want the best for the Virgin Islands. And so I had to learn that language of, okay, we really need to put some specifics in here and think about what are we talking about. So it took a long time, but that time was used kind of developing the critical skills um, that I needed to be able to make an argument like this. I also, for anybody listening who's trying to write a book, I also had two children along the way. So that, you know, takes time out of your life. So um, it, was a, it was a passion project for many years, and I feel so fulfilled that I'm able to share it with the community that I wrote it for. I wrote it for Virgin Islanders. I wanted to say, here's what you trusted me with. Here's how you shared your experience with me, um, and here's what I've done with it, and I want us to be in conversation. And I hope this book is the beginning of that kind of translating project. So, I, one, I want to highlight that. I, be, I don't know if I said this on air, but I said it this week, right? Oh, no, I said it last night. Sometimes in the way we think about what is often complicated, but more realistically complex, right? Because it's dealing with humans. And so it's not just something we can engineer our way through. Mm-hmm. There is a we have a tendency to plainly see something I want to put it in a binary. It's good or bad. It's yes or right. no. It's wrong or right. right. Um, and what I hear you saying as the, you know, the, the anthropologist, the cultural anthropologist who did the field work, one of the things that the time gave you is the opportunity to, to take the distance, to sit with it and see the benefit, pros and cons of each side, right? Yeah. And determine the higher level pattern is what was really happening is that for the most part, everyone in, everyone's intention is for the Virgin Islands to thrive. Um, that may not be the impact or the understanding of the conversation people are having with each other or what is felt. And to me, that's powerful because a lot of times we're stuck in defending the binary, Uh right? Not actually listening for where is the opportunity to address the pattern that can actually change something for our territory because we could be we could be locked in this conversation you know for another 20 years easily yeah um, we have seen that we have seen that absolutely and i think that is 
you know, and I don't want to exempt anybody who is actually, you know, there's some, there have been a number of criminal charges filed. You know, the FBI, I write about this in the book, raided a number of EDC offices. So there are some just you know, flat out bad guys, right? Criminal activity going on for sure. But my larger argument is on the whole, right? The people, especially the local people at spaces like the EDA, right? I'm working in these EDC companies. They really did try, they were like articulating a vision of how can we do better? Things are not good. They have not been good for a long time on St. Croix when we look at the economy. I talked about Hovenza closing, right? It continues, we continue to sort of get worse. It is a vision of how we get better. And what I'm trying to say is, we need to nuance that vision and think about what we are doing. We need to not talk past one another, but we need to have this translation so we can say, on both sides, there is good faith. I do believe, you know, the people on both sides of this argument want to improve the Virgin Islands. But if we don't have a conversation and take seriously each other's criticisms, we're going to continue, like you said, in the same loop, right? Who is a Virgin Islander? What are we doing here? Who are the natives? That so we're not going to make any kind of progress because we're not engaged in the kind of hard, this is difficult these are difficult conversations, but I would argue necessary conversations if we want to get out of this kind of repeating a similar cycle. I want to say thank you so much, Dr. Navarro. You will see me on November 18th at oh, Albert yeah. Sheen. You said 12 to 1? Yes, 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Um, one, to shake your hand, and two, to hear more about what you found in Virgin Capital Race, Gender, and Financialization in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show with us this morning. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. So listen, WTJX listeners, analyze this, listeners. You got me for one more day. Neville will return next week. I'm going to do Friday with y'all, and then I'm going to hopefully be on here Monday. But I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in this morning. I hope something we shared either educated you, inspired you, gave you a little bit of food for thought. Um, look up Bright Path Program from Virgin Islands Housing Authority and come check Dr. Tammy Navarro out on November 18th. Virgin Capital Race, Gender and Financialization in the U.S. Virgin Islands. If you're looking to see me in person, I'll be at Levels tonight. Um, have a great day. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Weekday mornings are a juggle, sometimes even a struggle. Morning Edition from NPR News eases you into your day and keeps you company through the chaos of a busy morning. Hear interviews that give you context on the day's biggest stories, along with reporting and updates on the latest breaking news. Stay on top of the world with Morning Edition every weekday. From 5 to 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. ¿Estás bien? Mm, no sé. Dime. Es que, bueno, no sé cómo decirlo. Cuando tus niños no encuentren las palabras, 
ayúdalos a encontrar la canción. Escucha el álbum Sound It Out y obtén consejos y herramientas para empezar una conversación en escuchandosentimientos.org. Un mensaje de Ad Council y Pivotal Ventures.